so far. It's encouraging to see uh, so many people, packed house. Uh, it's also encouraging to see some familiar faces. We got the Solomons back in town. Oh, yeah. We got a lot of people coming, coming back home, so it's encouraging. Um, you know, several of us were there last night, but Nate and Hillary were married last night. Uh, and then about a week ago, Sigri, Cruz, Sigri, where are you at? Sigrid was baptized about a week ago, um, and we're actually going to have another baptism today after that. that Wednesday, our congregational midweek, okay? And uh, we're going to have two congregational midweeks in December. We're going to start discussing some, uh, some plans, some ideas for 2019, so that's going to be an exciting time. Um, we also, in January, we have student leaders from all over the heartland that are going to be coming in for a little training time. So looking forward to that, our annual student leadership retreat. And then uh, I'm going to go ahead and Say another prayer here, but guys, let's continue to pray for Holly Fernandez and her family. Stuff has kind of continued to spread, so there's going to be another intense surgery on uh, the 6th. So let's just make sure that we are continuing to pray and really loving up on the uh, Hernandez family. Uh, Fernandez family. Amen. So let's just let's go to God in prayer. Uh, God, we come before you just, uh, just got really begging and asking for you to work. God, it's been so honestly inspiring seeing Holly's uh, faith. And the faith of the Fernandez family, every time I talk to them, they're just, they're just extremely faithful and even still serving. And so, God, I pray that we can really be there for them in any way we can. And, God, we, we pray that you would uh, really work, God, that these surgeries would be effective. And please strengthen and comfort their family, God. We love you and we need you. And uh, we ask all this in your son Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 5. All right, we're continuing our, our, our series on the kingdom. And uh, I hope that this series has been helpful for you guys. Um, you know, I, I think the goal of Jesus' message was to help us get away from doing religion like the Pharisees, right? This Pharisaic legalism. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but Jesus wanted us to get back to the relationship and back to the heart. Because honestly, guys, it's easier to just focus when it comes to our faith. It's easier to just focus on the to-dos, right, than the heart. And it's easier to deal with rituals and ceremonies and habits than it is to deal with people. And this is what Jesus goes after, and this is what we're really going to dive into today when we continue reading in Matthew chapter 5. But before we get into it, I do want to just recap a little bit, um, right? The, the Jews, their history was just... Hundreds of years of slavery, of wandering, of disappointment, of disobedience, of division, you name it, right? And 
All the while, they're holding on to this hope that someday Messiah is going to come and he's going to bring in a kingdom that's going to smash all the other kingdoms and Israel's going to be back on top, right? This is what they held out hope for. But that's not what God's plan was. It wasn't going to be a physical kingdom. It was going to be a kingdom of the heart. And last week we looked at what we call these kingdom attitudes and how Jesus, he didn't start with the kingdom is going to be about revenge or the kingdom is going to be about power or the kingdom is going to be about force. He started with this is going to be a kingdom of the heart. And the kingdom starts, entrance into the kingdom starts with being absolutely broken and in desperate need of God. Realizing where we stand before God and being on our knees, poor in spirit, begging for help. And that leads to this sense of mourning. Due to our sin, which leads to this surrender. I give up. I'm not going to fight it anymore. Which leads to this starvation of being in a right relationship with God. I'll do whatever it takes to be right with God. The kingdom of God starts with us getting on our knees and realizing how desperately in need of God we are. Amen? And we looked at this what we call the now, not yet paradox, right? Over here, this is what they were expecting. This is the present age, this is life, and then the kingdom's going to come down, fall out of the sky, right? It's going to be crazy. And then this world as we know it, history as we know it, was going to be gone. No more junk. It's only the kingdom, the age to come, and its citizens. It's only going to be us. We're going to be on top forever. We're going to be with God. Everything's business as usual, back to how it should be. But that is not what God had in mind. It wasn't going to come. The kingdom was not going to come in one moment. It wasn't going to smash all the other kingdoms of the world. It's more like this. Jesus brought in and started to unfold the kingdom of God. And we live in this time period where we're in the midst of the kingdom and this present age. And we talked about this tension, right? We talked about this tension of we are trying to live a new way. We're trying to live a kingdom way while still being in the midst of this current world. And so there's this natural tension there. But guys, we have to remember the kingdom lifestyle is different. Jesus said in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. Guys, we do things by a different set of rules in the kingdom. We do things differently in God's kingdom. We treat people differently. We have different expectations for ourselves in God's kingdom. We have different priorities in God's kingdom. We have different values in God's kingdom. And sometimes I think we forget where our citizenship really lies. Because we start to hold ourselves to the standards of this world rather than the standards of the kingdom. And we start to get caught up in doing things the way and playing by the rules of this world rather than playing by the rules of God's kingdom. And so we have to ask ourselves constantly, am I going to live as a citizen of this world or am I going to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God? 
Because we don't just wait, right? What this whole thing tells us, we don't just get baptized and wait and someday heaven's going to come and we'll be these perfect little angels. No, no, no. We start living heaven's way right now. Don't wait till you die. Live heaven right now. We have a responsibility to start bringing in, ushering in the kingdom of God. Think about that. Every time you do something a kingdom way, every time you treat someone the way a citizen of the kingdom should treat someone, we're ushering in God's kingdom. We're creating a world that God intended. So will you cuss in heaven? No. So don't do it now. Right? Will you be serving in heaven? Absolutely. So start being serving now. Will you steal or lie or lash out in anger or look at pornography in heaven? No. So don't do that now. We've got to start living heaven today and not wait till we die. Amen? We have a responsibility to usher in the kingdom of God right now. But we live in this present age, so there's constantly this tension, and we're having to constantly decide, where is our citizenship going to lie? Today, what we're going to do is we're going to continue in chapter 5. We're going to dive into Jesus' teachings, and we're going to see Jesus. He's going to take some essential commands from the Old Testament, and he's going to take a defibrillator to him, right? He's going to pump the heart back into him. And so that's what we're really going to look at. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17. Jesus is speaking here. He's saying, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen, will be any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a really interesting passage that you have to kind of understand what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus is about to go in on the Pharisees and their teachings, right? And he is about to address some challenging stuff. He's going to challenge the way that the Jews did everything. He's going to challenge the way that the Pharisees had been teaching God's word and what they had turned it into. And so what he does before he gets into all that, he clarifies. He's saying, guys, I'm not here to devalue the Old Testament scripture. I'm not here to contradict the Old Testament scripture. I'm not here to do away with it. I'm here to, fulfill, I'm here to bring it back to what it was originally intended for. So he's letting him know that before he gets into all this stuff. He's going to breathe life and breathe meaning and breathe heart back into these old scriptures. Because the Pharisees had turned them into this system, right? This system, this checklist. And so Jesus, he's saying, hey, I have no problem with the Old Testament scriptures, but I do have a problem with how the Pharisees have been teaching it and how you guys have been living it out. Right. And that's what he's going to go after today. So let's talk about this Pharisaic legalism a little bit. It's interesting, guys, because this word legalism, it's so legalistic, that gets thrown around a lot. But 
We've got to know what it's actually talking about. Okay? Legalism is not being too over the top. That's not legalism. People will use it to describe something that's being too, too intense, too strict, too over the top. It's actually more describing someone that does the bare minimum exactly to what the letter of the law says and nothing more. It's the heart of what can I get away with based on what this command says. That's legalism. The Pharisees' focus became more on the to-dos. They got more wrapped up in the details of the commands than the people or the heart. And it led them to looking for loopholes. And what I mean by that is, hmm, well, God says this, but in this sentence, he doesn't say this, so I don't, I think I could get a, this isn't sin. That's legalism. Dating is a great example of this, right? A legal, bro, you're bound, you have, you have such strict boundaries on dating, that's too, you're too over the top. That's not legalism. Legalism would actually be, well, in the scriptures, God doesn't say technically that I'm not allowed to kiss this girl. So, you know, it does talk about immorality, but I don't, kissing is not sexual sin. So, you know, the, what can I get away with based on the little details of the law and what was left? It's looking for these loopholes. That's legalism. That's legalism. Legalism is going through the bare minimum motions without the heart. I'll do exactly what God asked me to do, but nothing more. Nothing more. And if he doesn't say it in there, then I'm good. That was legalism. And that's what the Pharisees, they spent all their time arguing and debating about all these little tiny details of these laws. And they, got, they, they missed it. They totally missed it. And guys, we can very easily do the same thing, right? It's kind of like school, right? Raise your hand if you're, if you're in school still, right? If you're in school of any way, right? Wow, okay. It's kind of like school, right? Getting your education, there is a great purpose in getting your education. And there is actually a lot of wisdom behind the courses and the classes they make you take. Right? It's really great to know history, believe it or not. It's really great to know how to read and how to write. I don't know about algebra. I still don't know about algebra, but there's an important purpose behind all those things. But if you're like me, what do I need to do to graduate? Right? That's it. Okay? Uh, okay, I got to read this book. I don't know what the purpose of reading this book is. I don't know why they're having me read this book. I don't care about getting an A. I don't care about getting a B plus. My parents care about me getting a C. So I'll get a B, I'll graduate, we'll move on, I'll get a job, I'll never have to work this Right? Right? That's, that's how a lot of us, if we're being honest, treat school. Let me just get, but guys, that can become our faith. That can become our faith. I don't know why we do devos. I don't know why we take communion. I don't know why I say Jesus is Lord before I get baptized. I don't know why I do this stuff, but let me do what I need to do so I can move on to the next grade and then I can graduate. And the heart is just completely stripped from it. It can just turn into this routine, this ritual, this ceremony. We just do a bunch of stuff, but it's not with all of our heart. 
And so as time goes on, we can kind of turn into, I don't think it's a sin for me to not go to midweek. I don't think it's a sin for if I miss my choir. I don't think it's a sin. So, you know, if we can, right? That's what happens when you lose the heart. That's a legalistic way of faith. And that's what Jesus goes to town on, okay? And so what he does in Matthew chapter 5, which we're going to look at for the rest of our time today, he takes six Old Testament commands. And he does a few things with them. One, he challenges the current way that the Pharisees were teaching it. He breathes the purpose and the life and the heart back into it. And in doing so, he elevates the standard of a citizen of the kingdom of God. So much that it's like, this is over the top, right? So some of us, by our definition, we'd be like, Jesus, you're kind of legal. It's, he raises the bar. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Look in Matthew 5, verse 21. First thing we'll look at is kingdom relationships. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gifts. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So he starts off by saying, what was the command? Do not murder. If you... Right, the Pharisees, that was then the standard. Don't murder. So if this dude ticks me off, I can beat him within an inch of his life, but as long as his heart is still breathing, I'm good. And what Jesus is saying, guys, do you think that that's what God intended when he put this command? Don't murder. But you can, everything else up to murder is, is legal. Is that what God intended? No. His intent was that we would have relationships where we don't tear each other apart. So don't wait till it gets to murder. Settle it when you're just arguing with each other because that's where everything starts. Right? Most murders probably start with two people being angry at each other. They don't deal with it. It just builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. So he said, don't, don't wait till it gets so far. Don't hold your standard as do not murder. The point is that we have good relationships with each other. Yeah. Amen. So be at peace with one another. Be reconciled to one another. If you have an issue with someone, figure it out. Because in the kingdom of God, we're supposed to treat people differently than in the world. If not murdering someone is our standard, God help us. Right? That's not the point. That wasn't the purpose of the law. So Jesus breathes the life, breathes the heart, breathes the purpose back into it. Deal with your stuff. 
don't let it get out of hand. We want to have good relationships in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Then he goes on to this kingdom purity. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What should our standard of purity be in the kingdom of God? I think it should be a little higher than don't sleep with someone else if you're married, right? Yeah. Right. But you could understand that legalistic heart, right, would take this and, okay, so I can't commit adultery. So, well, so can we do other things other than having sex? Would that be adultery? What if we just, you know, make out? What if I just, what if we don't even have any, what if I just look at an image? What if I just think, of, you know, that wouldn't be, so I'm good there. And because the heart is, what can I get away with? It waters down the standard. Let me, let me ask you a question out here. What's your standard that you need to confess when it comes to purity? Right? We all have that thing that we, we think is really, that's, that's, I think that's confession worthy. Right? What is that? Because what Jesus is saying don't even look. What he means there by lust, someone should not become the object of your sexual desire. That's the standard. Guys, we've got to elevate our standard of purity in the kingdom of God. No adultery started. Just someone woke up and said, I want to commit adultery today. Right? It always starts by desiring someone else in a sexual way. We've got to cut that thing out. Yeah. ASAP. We have to elevate and raise the standards for the kingdom and for ourselves when it comes to purity. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He is reinstituting God's intention for purity in his kingdom. Don't even look at a woman lustfully. And if you're having trouble not looking, gouge your eye out. Whoa, Jesus, you're being so legally, you're so over the top and so intense and so strict. Do you really want me to gouge my eye out? It's just being metaphor. You know, is it, it's like, dude, you're missing the point, right? Because that's where the Pharisees would go. Cut your arm off. Cut my arm off. Well, is, what is it legally? Dude, just be pure, right? Stop with all, just be pure. Our standard of purity in God's kingdom should reflect God's intention and desire for our purity as citizens of his kingdom. Amen? Amen. The next thing he gets into is kingdom marriages. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay. Few things show how legalistic the Jewish system was than the divorce laws. Because different schools taught different things. So in some translations you'll read 
if he finds something indecent about her. So some schools would take this, some Jewish schools, they'd take this, they would debate the translation of it, and it got turned into, if a husband found something displeasing about his wife, that was legal grounds for divorce. Because the wording is such. So literally, it could be something as small as not being able to properly cook, prepare the food. Right? Anything that was displeasing to the husband was ground, legal grounds for divorce. That led into, well, what does that mean by displeasing? And that ended up evolving into not finding favor in the eyes of the husband. So that turned into legal grounds for divorce was no longer being attracted to your spouse. It's also interesting because a woman was not able to divorce a man. Why? Because in the law, it never references a woman giving a male a certificate of divorce. Guys, this is how, this is how messed up stuff got. Do you know what the purpose of this command was? God hates divorce. God did not want to give them a command so that they could look for a way out of their marriage. The law was there to actually, what most people believe, is to protect women from being in abusive situations. But what they did was they took it, and they used it to their advantage, and they looked for loopholes and ways out. They missed the point. And so Jesus corrects the standard of divorce. Saying, guys, the point of this is not, hey, what needs to happen in order for me to quit? Well, this happened. I don't know if it was actually sexual. What's the stand? What? That's not the point, guys. What's the point? We've got to fight for our marriages. Our marriages should reflect God's intent for marriages and his kingdom. The point is not let's look for ways out and loopholes and how can we justify it. We've got to fight for our marriages. Let's be loving. Let's be respectful. Let's work through stuff. Amen? Our standard for our marriages should be higher than that of this world. Amen. He then gets into kingdom integrity. Again, you've heard it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head, for you can't even make one hair white or black. All you need is to say simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So this law was put in place to prohibit false oaths. You know, in certain Jewish circles, there was a hierarchy of oath, okay? So swearing by heaven, earth, Jerusalem, or your head, that was kind of a lesser oath than swearing in a way that evoked the name of God. But it's interesting because the very fact that there had to be oaths showed how untrusting people had become, right? Lying had become so common that such a thing like an oath had to be used to assure someone that they were telling the truth. Think about that. Why would there need to be oaths if we all just told truths? And so that's what Jesus gets after. He's saying, guys, 
The point of this whole thing is not to show you what type of oath to have and swear. The point is just tell the truth. Why? Because dishonesty breaks trust. It breaks relationships. It ruins our relationships with one another. So just tell the truth. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Be a man or a woman of integrity. Just tell the truth. Stop worrying about which oath should I. This is challenging. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is really challenging, guys. Don't resist an evil person. I think we've got to realize something. The, word, the, the phrase self-defense gets thrown around a lot. And this is where, once again, we have this challenging of deciphering what are rules of this world and what are rules of God's kingdom. And those can blend sometimes. This is challenging. Someone comes up and punches you in the face. Turn the other side of your face and let him punch that side. Well, Jesus didn't. I don't think he meant. You know, what if some guy breaks into my house? I don't think. I don't. I don't know what else he's saying. And once again, what they did, they took this law and they missed it. Do you actually know this law was put in place? Because if somebody punches you in the face, what's your response? I want to hurt you. And I want to hurt you worse than you hurt me. This law was put in place to prohibit people from punishing others more severely than they had been hurt. That's why it was put in place. Hey, if somebody slaps you, you can't kill them. You can slap them, but that's the highest level of punishment that's allowed. So it was actually put in place to limit violent reactions. But they took it as whatever you do to me, I get to do to you. And that's just how everything, just, that's just a mess. Don't resist an evil. And it's interesting, well, I don't know if Jesus, look at 1 Peter 2. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You know, there's this story. This was caught on camera. A guy breaks into a company, points a gun at a girl sitting at a desk, and demands money. She got down on her knees, and she started praying for the guy out loud. The guy put his gun away, sat down, and started telling this woman his story and how hurt and lonely and miserable he was. Guys, I think we forget that God is laying out a standard in his kingdom that is very different than the standard in this world. Dude, this guy's holding a gun at you. you just He's saying, entrust to him who judges justfully. That's challenging. That's challenging. He talks about going, going two miles instead of one. 
it became a law that any Roman soldier could tell any civilian to carry his armor, his bag, his, his stuff for one mile. Could you imagine? You're just going about your day, you're running errands, and some dude walks up and says, hey, pick up my stuff, I need you to carry it a mile. So you gotta stop what you're doing, pick it up, carry it a mile, walk a mile back, and carry on. And if you didn't, it was grounds for beating or imprisonment. What a horrible law, right? You can imagine why the Jews were so frustrated all the time at these Romans. And what does Jesus say? If someone asks you to carry it one mile, why don't you just go ahead and take it two? Think of what that Roman soldier would do. Hey, get up, carry my stuff a mile. You mind if I just carry it two or three miles? Um, but wow. What would show more of a difference between the kingdom and the world than that? What would show more of a difference than that? Somebody punches you and you just say, Guys, we've got to be different. And the last thing he looks at is this kingdom love. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Aha! The law said to love my neighbor. But it didn't say to love those who hate me. I'm just saying, guys, that's not the point. God loves everyone, whether they're a sinner or not. He, takes, he, he brings the rain on the land of the sinners and the saints, the righteous and the unrighteous. Imitate God. Don't just love the people that are nice to you. Love the people that treat you poorly. Pray for the people that hate you. Be perfect. Have perfect love. Just like God does. He loves everybody, whether they deserve it or not. Man. Guys, this is challenging. These teachings are challenging. And they had it so twisted. They had taken all these laws, they lost the purpose, and they just were, what's the minimum thing I can do to graduate, right? What do I just need to do to get by and move on to the next grade? <laughs> and he's saying, no, 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 no. We've got to do this with all our heart. We've got to be different. Our standard in God's kingdom is different than the standards of this world. And he pumps the purpose back into it. Guys, once again, we've got to ask ourselves constantly in every situation that comes up, am I going to respond like a citizen of this world or am I going to respond like a citizen of the kingdom of God? We have a responsibility to usher in the kingdom of God. And we do that by living out the kingdom way. Now, you know what's interesting you think of that scripture that says, hey, all the laws of the prophets are summed up in this. Love God and love others. Everything that we've looked at, it's all about relationships. Our purity, our marriages, our love for one another, our forgiveness, how we resolve conflict, lying to each other, having integrity, telling the truth. It all 
is centered around relationships with one another. God's kingdom is about relationships, period. You can't just be this isolated kingdom citizen. I'm just going to stick by myself and do my... It's all about one another relationships. Every command that God gave was so that we would have these good relationships. He's going after these commands because he doesn't want us to... The world is broken. Relationships are broken. People are hurting. He wants those relationships to be mended. Mm -hmm. Don't lie to each other. That's going to break your relationship. Don't look for a reason to divorce. It's going to break relationships. Don't commit adultery. Don't don't lust. That's going to destroy your relationships. Don't get in a fight and punch the other person. Don't look for a way to get back at it. That's going to destroy your relationship. Don't just love the people that love you. That's going to isolate people. That separates of everybody. The kingdom of God is all about relationships. And so, guys, we've got to make sure that we are treating other people the way that God intended people to be treated in his kingdom. Amen? Amen. And so as we continue next week with our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at where are we invested Right? Are we a citizen of this world or are we a citizen of the kingdom? And next week we'll see, well, are we invested in this world? Are we invested in the kingdom? Amen? Amen. Let's go to God in prayer and then we're going to have a baptism. Amen? Father, we come before you. Uh, God, we need your help. These teachings are so intense. I can see why at the end of this sermon the people were just amazed. God, you took... You took these teachings that had just become checklists. And, you know, they missed the point and you breathed the heart and the purpose back into it. You raised the standard of what it means to live in your kingdom, to be a citizen of your kingdom. God, I pray that we can raise the standard. That we can raise a standard for how we treat one another. We can raise a standard for our integrity and our purity and our love for other people and our marriages. God, help us to live the way that you intended citizens within your kingdom to live. God, we need your help. This is a ch- these are challenging teachings, God. And I pray that over and over and over, we would reevaluate and ask ourselves, am I going to handle this situation like a citizen of the kingdom of God or like a citizen of this world? And I pray that every time, God, we would choose your kingdom. And that by doing this, we would usher in a new age, that we would usher in your kingdom. God, I pray that you would help us to be invested in your kingdom and not of this world. We love you. We need you. We need your help. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.